This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we have the distinct pleasure of having Mr. Kevin Ring with us. What's going on, Kevin? Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you uh, so much. I'm excited to to do it. Sure thing. I mean, I got to tell you, man, like I feel like I know you already because you have a super fan in my good friend, Mr. Josh Gurley, and a second super fan in my other good friend, Mr. Steven Sedlak. So it was only a matter there of time until we met. And so really glad to have you on. Um, anxious to uh, talk work comp with you and, and have you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing and how people can learn more about that. But while before we get started with everything else, why don't you just give them the 10,000 foot overview of who you are and kind of what you do and how you got there. Oh, wow. So, so let's start with what we do. The Institute of Work Comp Professionals uh, started, you know, training, certifying and mentoring insurance agents. It'll be 20 years in October. So we had our first workshop actually uh, down in your neck of the woods in Orlando in October of 2001, which was a bit of an interesting time uh, to start a business. But we uh, we kicked off in October, October 2001, and what we do is uh, train agents in the rules of workers' comp that very few people, including agents, understand. And I've heard you guys talk about workers' comp, so you know exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you that most agents don't understand what's going on. And then how to use that information to you know write write more business and get better results for your clients. And... So, I mean, there's there's the certified work comp advisor designation where people get in the door. But what really makes what we do different from most designation programs out there is that the designation is really the start line rather than the finish line uh, for agents. So when you come through the course, you get unlimited access to our team of experts to help you you know, navigate issues like I've reviewed, I'm just shy of 1,050 worksheets with advisors since I started keeping track in 2011. Wow. Wow. So we do, we do a lot of that. And you, of course you find, you find mistakes, but you, my, the way I think about workers comp in particular, and I think it's probably a useful metaphor for a, a lot of what we do in insurance 
is I, I think about what we do a lot like how a doctor works. So if you walk in to a doctor and you're like, my knee hurts, he's not like, well, it's your ACL, let's cut, <laughs> right? There's tests and there's you know things that you do so that you can diagnose what's wrong and then you can prescribe treatment. And maybe not all of the treatment needs to happen at once because you overwhelm people. And you know what you find a lot of times people get a little bit of knowledge and then they'll walk in the door and they'll be like, guess what? Guess what I can do? I can do blah, 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 blah. And you overwhelm people. Well, I'll tell you what, man, your doctor doctor metaphor is absolutely perfect. (laughs) And I'm actually going to put a little spin on that because if that doctor were an insurance agent, you know, by and large, you know, the the garden variety type, they're going to walk in. They're not going to say, you know, it's your ACL. They're immediately going to say, hey, by the way, I'm going to give you immediate orthopedic surgery. And hey, while we're in there, let's take a look at the other knee and we can look at your your ankle and we can look (laughs) at your shoulder. We can sell you a surgery on everything. And I mean, (laughs) it it sounds ludicrous, but that that really is what happens in most cases. They're so focused on, you know, getting the workers comp policy placed that they're not stopping and looking at all of the contributing factors that have gotten a client or a prospect to where they are. Right. And to extend that, you know, we we firmly believe, and this is not always possible because of a wide variety of external factors, but in a perfect world, you take the comp first before you take the rest of the account. Because with the comp, you can show the results that you can create in a way that is dramatically different than any other type of insurance. I mean, so one of one of my favorite stories, and it goes back years and years, an agent had had a verbal agreement on a BOR on the comp. And on the way out the door from the meeting, the, the business owner says, hey, you know, I love what you're talking about with the comp so much. Can you do the rest of my insurance? Well, it turns out he couldn't because the owner had two sons in the business who had terrible uh, MVRs. He couldn't place the auto and he lost the whole deal on like a $30,000 revenue comp account because he wound up not being able to place the rest of the business. And so you know, take the comp over and you know, let them beg you to take the rest. Now, like I said, that's not always possible because the insurance company doesn't want to do it monoline or whatever, whatever else. Uh, but if you can just focus on that one piece, you can make a pretty dramatic difference in what's likely the second biggest check they write for insurance besides their health insurance. It's funny. I had that same conversation this morning, um, you know, on, on my call at the, the prospect asked me how we got paid and I said well you know we we of course get a, a commission you know for for writing the workers comp for you but you know that's not the goal I, you know I think as we've talked about many times on here David that the compensation structure for workers comp is backwards in terms of how we get you know paid for paid more for clients doing worse right so I, I had that discussion with them I said look my goal is to if you're doing better and your business is healthier ultimately you know if I'm writing those other lines of coverage it's it's good for it's good for both of us like you know if you're if you're doing worse and paying more premiums sure that I might make more on the front end but I'm not gonna have you as a client for very long <laughs> well too the other thing you know that makes that approach Kevin easier in Florida and I, I can't speak for really anywhere else in the country we've got enough business down here I've not had to venture out any further you know i've i've 
got some incidental stuff in other places, but we we have a pretty high number of monoline workers comp carriers. And because of all of the different laws that have passed, I forget the name of the case, and I know you're, you're going to spit it out immediately from a couple of years ago where it was capping the, the attorney's fees and all of the other stuff. A lot of the the package carriers just don't even want comp. I mean, I'm not going to call names on them, but there are multiple carriers that we represent that said, you know, we'll write it if you need us to, but we'd really prefer you not send it to us. So that opens the doors to like the Amtrusts, the Summits, the Zeniths, and all of these other people who really do nothing but or specialize in workers' comp in the state. And that um, that makes it easier to to sort of segregate coverage if you have to do that. Now, my MO is I'm always going to go for the whole thing and I'll figure out a way to get it done. And, and I want people to realize, look, you know, if you're a contractor, do you really want to be going to two different agencies to request certificates of insurance for everything? You've already told me in the meeting that you're having a hard enough time getting certificates now. Like, How hard is it going to be if you have two agencies working on it? And then we lead into the fact that we have a self-service portal that they can pull their certificates in real time as long as it's pre-approved language and they can have their certificates in the end user's hands faster than they can send me an email requesting it. And I mean, it's just this beautiful ballet that we've created where we can dance around all of this. But I mean, you know, my opinion is it has been registered multiple times. I really think agents in Florida have given up on workers' comp. If you're a multi-lines agency, by and large, you look at it and say, you know what? The state controls the rates. There's really no competitive advantage. I can probably give you a better dividend here or there, but really let's focus on getting you cheap rates on your auto and GL, and we'll just handle the workers' comp for you. And to your point, they have really missed the golden opportunity of being able to drive tangible, quantifiable value in that relationship and set the table to just easily take over the other lines because you can drive down performance really by just looking at the low-hanging fruit and hammering that hard the first year. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's it's it's remarkable. It's a, you know Giving up on it is an interesting phrasing, and I, I get it particularly in a state like Florida where the rates – the rates are set and and there's, you know, every state has their own, you know, little way that carriers can play games, whether it's dividends or loss cost multipliers or credits and debits or or whatever else. But, you know, everywhere, uh, with the, the, the exception of Texas, the coverage is mandatory. Uh, so if you're with insurance company A and your guy falls off a ladder, it's the, he's going to get paid the same way as if it's insurance company B. You don't run into a lot of gaps in coverage like you do in in other uh, in other types of insurance. And uh, insurance buyers and insurance agents have been trained that you know comp is comp is comp, and there's nothing you can do about it. And what that leads to is a a tremendous opportunity for agents who understand how workers' compensation works to. To go in and and if you can get the whole thing, you know that's it's fantastic. Um, I will say one of the psychological benefits for in the sales process, particularly when you're dealing with a buyer that maybe is having some hesitance in leaving uh, an agent that maybe they've had a long relationship with or uh, an agent who's related to them. You know, you can ease that exit if you only take the comp. Right. So, you know, hey, you don't have to fire your brother-in-law. 
You know, I just want this one little piece. And then, of course, over time, firing their brother-in-law becomes the obvious choice. But, you know, you can you can start that process slowly instead of forcing them through this, you know, emotion. I mean, it's hard for a lot of people. I I came very close to having to fire my personal insurance agent that I've had for almost 20 years this year because of a, it doesn't even matter, but I, I, it was really hard. You know, I like had anguish over the fact that I was going to have to call her and say, you know, listen, I'm really sorry. I have to move because she's done a, a great job. And, um, you know, people, people feel that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's interesting that you made the comment that comp in many cases is the second largest check outside of employee benefits. You know, one of the things that I'm always cognizant of at the point of sale is to talk about benefits because the two go hand in hand. And I think that's an opportunity that a lot of agencies miss on is they don't realize, you know, and, and here, you don't people, if you're listening to this and you don't do benefits in your agency, doesn't mean you can't ask questions about the employee benefits plan. Don't run from it because if an if a company has bad benefits, if they have deductibles that are overly high, if it's a health savings account plan and the employer is not doing anything to contribute to fund the HSA and it's all on the employee and they realize that that HSA debit card works for all kinds of things that it's not supposed to work for and they bleed it out. If the you know the hospital uh, emergency bills and things are way too high. Um, you know, in terms of how they're covered on the, the benefits, that that leads to Monday morning claims. That leads to you know fraudulent workers' comp issues, and so it's to me part of your due diligence if you're going to go in and be a workers' comp expert is to have a firm understanding on the benefits program that's in these organizations. Because Kevin, you probably have way better statistical data than I have, but I do know there's a direct correlation between a company who offers short-term disability products. And those who don't, as far as how their workers' comp loss ratio ends up performing, because an employee's sitting on the fence, right? They, you know, every I heard this in accounting way back when I think it was the second of three times that I took accounting <laughs> from from a, a professor of mine. But he basically said everybody's got a price. Everybody's sitting on a fence, and you know, you have an injured worker and they're sitting on the fence. You know, they have a decision to make. Are they going to, mm-hmm. you know, they got hurt at home. Are they going to file the fraudulent claim or are they going to do it the way that it's supposed to be done? And, you know, you you bring in like a Colonial or an Aflac or any of these Lincoln General, whoever, or Lincoln Financial, rather. Lincoln General is a trucking company. Uh, Lincoln Financial, you know, any, any of these people and you know, A, the employee gets their money a heck of a lot faster, um, which is mm-hmm. what they really want. And they, they get themselves taken care of just the same in many cases. Um, I'm interested, man. I mean, when you and I don't want you guys giving away your secret sauce by any stretch of the imagination. And I know we couldn't even fathom accomplishing that in an hour. But I mean, how much of a direct correlation do, do you look at? You know, when when it comes to benefits versus comp. Well, I mean, so there's there's several pieces to the puzzle. And and by the way, we are huge believers, and I'm sure you guys have both heard this, you know, sales cliche. You know, don't spill your candy in the lobby. And uh, there's a couple of things attached to that 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 we're big believers in, both in what we do and and in what we think agents should be doing. And, and the first thing is we're huge believers in test drives, right? You know, you you don't buy a a fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollar car without test driving it, but you know we expect 
these business owners to you know write a hundred thousand dollar check without really having any idea whether or not we're any good. It's one of the great things about the broker of record letter is that you can tell them legitimately and comp that you know listen this makes me your agent, but I'm not going to get paid until sometime in the future. And if you decide you want to change this, I'll even help you change it if you're not if you're not happy. Um, and so and you know there's. You know, there's there's a time and place for everything in a in a you know potential client conversation about you know when to spill your candy, but you know we we certainly believe that the agents know what they're doing. You know, no one else is just going to be able to walk in and and do it because if they if they could do it, why hadn't they done it? Mm-hmm. But you know, circling back to your question, when it comes to employee benefits, you know, I've I've seen some of the stats that you're talking about that the short-term disability companies uh, put out, and I don't, I don't doubt any of them, uh, but I don't, I don't know a lot about them. Um, but I will say a couple of things, which is first, directly related to the benefits. Do you have executive officers excluding themselves from the workers' comp? And if so, have you read the occupational accident exclusion from their health insurance because a hundred percent of health insurance policies have a worker's compensation exclusion. Now that, that exclusion can say a wide variety of different things and it varies by insurance company, but there are executive officers excluded from the worker's comp who have health insurance that specifically excludes occupational injury, even if the owner doesn't have worker's comp. And that's a, a you want to talk about one of the few gaps that you can have in workers' compensation. You know, an owner is going to say, "Well, I'm never going to sue myself. You know, I'm never going to file a claim." Well, that's great until he's in a, an auto accident or he's a, working on a construction site and falls off of something and has a seven-figure medical bill. You know, and then obviously, point. you know, disability insurance is a much better way to cover over. Uh, lost wages for a highly compensated executive officer, but there's a very small group of people in this country who could handle a seven-figure medical bill without it substantially negative Im- negatively impacting their lives. Which you know, and, is, it's ironic because that's, there, there's also a very small group of people that understand that disability insurance, albeit somewhat expensive, you know, in terms of the monthly outlay for it, is actually <laughs> well worth the money spent. Because of exactly what you said, right? Well, and not to mention, it's the it's the hardest insurance I've ever bought. Disability, it's such a pain in the butt. It makes you know life insurance you know is a breeze. <laughs> and then you know the other thing with benefits is is thinking about the benefits of workers' comp and communicating that to employees before they get injured. This idea of at, at time of hire. And probably, you know, periodically the same way that, that companies sit down with their employees and say, congratulations, your health insurance deductible went up by $2,500 this year. You know, why don't we sit down with employees and say, when you suffer an injury, this is who you need to talk to, or this is the phone number you need to call, whatever that process is. And when you call or you talk to this person, they're going to tell you to go see Dr. Bob. Because in most states, of course, we have the opportunity as an employer to, at least at the beginning of an injury, direct care. You know, there's only one or two states where you really 
can hardly even whisper that. But Otherwise, isn't Illinois you can one of them? The very least suggest Illinois. Yeah, Illinois is very strict about that. But even in Illinois, people will do what they call soft channeling, which is to say something like, you know, you know, when when Sally got hurt, or you know, people who work here, a lot of times they go to Doctor Bob, um, and and that and that can work. Um, but they're going to go to Doctor Bob. And 100 percent of your medical bills are going to be paid for. There's no copay. There's no deductible because when they um, when they get hurt, most people who file a workers' compensation claim, and there's a number for this, and I can't remember it, but it's for sure north of 80 percent. I think it's north of 90 who, percent of people who file a workers' comp claim in any given year have never filed one before. Right. So what is the only interaction they've ever had with the healthcare system? It's their personal health insurance. So they they might think, well, I can't I can't tell anybody I'm hurt. I don't have the money to pay to go to the doctor. Okay. So 100 percent of your medical bills are taken care of. Dr. Bob is going to bring you is going to send you back to work and he's going to tell us. You know, here are the things that you can't do. And even better, here are the things that you can do if you can't do your regular job and we're going to find work for you. Now, if Dr. Bob, and by the way, when you're working, you're going to get your regular pay. But if Dr. Bob says that you're injured in a way that makes it unsafe for you to be at work in any capacity, then for the first three or five or seven days, depending on what the waiting period is in a given state, you're not going to get paid. We think that stinks, but you know that's the law. And we're not going to talk about, well, you know, you could use your PTO or your sick leave or or whatever. You know, that's unpaid leave by the workers' comp statute. And then after that seven days, if you continue to not be able to work, you know, the insurance company is going to send you two-thirds of your, your regular wages. You know, that might take another seven, 10, or 14 days to make its way uh, to you, which is one of the reasons it's really, really important to us as your employer to make sure you're back at work because we never want you to miss a paycheck, you know, just because you were injured at work. And we're we're big believers in in the idea that you know communicating this up front helps to take some of the fear out of the workers' comp system while also making it very clear that workers' comp is not there to be taken advantage of, right? You know, if I call in sick, this happens in, in a lot of parts of the country. I don't know that you see it in Florida, but deer season is a bad time for comp claims. Like, oh man, I hurt my back at work yesterday. I don't think I can, I don't think I can work on Friday. Um, you know, and that's the first day of, of deer season. Listen, you know? true and, story. When I went know. went to high school in West Virginia, the first day of deer season was actually an excused absence from school. I'm surprised it wasn't. I'm surprised it wasn't it was. just a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was a holiday. It, it was considered I'm, to be a holiday. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were shut down. Yeah, hundred percent. I believe amazing. That. You know, it's interesting, Kevin, because I've always heard that workers' comp claims and in the direction they're going to go are pretty much decided in the first 24 hours. Uh, you know, how the company responds, how they reach out to the injured yeah. employee, uh, the communication that's there, and your your point is well taken uh, when you're talking about. Um, you know, people just want you know, their only experience being their health insurance and I don't have the money and this, that and the other, they get painted into a corner and, you know, they're injured, they're sitting at home. 
what are the commercials that are on TV? Have no fear. I'm Dr. Bob is going to be replaced by lawyer Larry, you know, or whoever, whatever we right. want to call him. And 100%. You know, he's the kind, loving, you know, firm handshake, quick smile. I'll take care of everything for you. You know, we'll get you the money. You sure it was only your knee and not your back, too? It looks like you're walking a little funny, you know. And, and I mean, obviously, we're we're being sarcastic about that. But I do think that there's a huge gap, and it's one of the things that we talk to with our clients in the middle market specifically, um, and honestly, we should be talking to everybody about it because somebody gets injured at work, the exposure is the same regardless of the size of your company. It's just the bigger companies actually have the financial ability to weather it more. But you're right. You have to you have to make that part of your onboarding and your training process. And the other thing is that you have to um, – you know. I'm a big fan of total compensation statements. You know, I want employees to understand the cost to employ for the employer. And, you know, having the work yeah. comp premium calculated that the employer pays on behalf of that employee to make sure that they're, you know, mended and brought back in in as good a condition as possible, if not exactly how they left work, that their wages are taken care of and all of that. I think that that's something that should be openly discussed, you know, especially in a time right now. And I'm not going to get political on this, but as wages are continuing to get forced up and forced up, you know, people don't understand why businesses can't afford to hire and why these restaurants and everything are are going out of business and when you factor in the fact that we're making minimum wage much higher you know guess what that it's not just that we're paying our normal workers comp in addition to that our workers comp premium goes up because it's now based off of that higher wage as well mm-hmm. and i don't think employees understand that um it's something that no. i've always done when you know back in my retail days you know we we did that when i worked with uh, target and and it was part of the review process for the annual review. We would sit down and we would show the employee, here's how much we're contributing for your health care. Here's how much we contribute to your 401k. Here's your profit sharing. Here's you know Social Security, Medicare. Here's the workers' comp premium. And you you know back then it was a $12 an hour job. And all of a sudden this guy looks at it and you're paying $27 an hour to have that person as an employee. People don't get mm-hmm. that. And usually in my experience, the first real wake-up call is when they leave that job job and they get the COBRA notification about how much benefits really cost, they have absolutely no clue that there's actually way more than what was coming out of their paycheck. Um, but also to your point with regard to the the uh, return to work, and I actually like the way we, we talked about Stephen Sedlak, but I like the way that he worded it in his book, The Work Comp Effect. If anybody listened to this, hasn't read it, you should go read it. It's a really easy read and a good approach to uh, to, to use with regard to workers' comp, but he's branded it recover at work. And I don't know if that's something that you guys do at the Institute or he came up with that on his own, but I think it's a softer, I think it's a softer piece of language. So psychologically, <coughs> when you tell an employee you want them to recover at work, it, it seems more nurturing as opposed to return to work as you need to get back to work as as quick as possible. Right. And it's, it's not, it, yes, hundred percent. And yeah, we talk about recovery at work, uh, we have, you know, of course, return to work, light duty is another phrase people like to use. We have some agents that uh, that use return to anything. And that's that's something they drill into their their doctor's brains. And, the, and we can't overlook the importance of the doctor in this whole uh, in this whole process. It's why finding a good doctor is so critical. Uh, because, and I know you guys have seen this and what you do, and I suspect our listeners are, are have, have similar experiences, 
where someone goes to the doctor for an injury that seems, you know, fairly minimal and they get signed out of work for weeks mm-hmm. because the doctor says, oh, well, you do this thing with your hands and now you have maybe stitches on your hand. So you can't do that thing until the stitches come out in six weeks. So boom, you're out of work for six weeks and suddenly you have this massive problem. Uh, you know, you have to have a doctor that understands how workers' compensation works, that understands, and this goes back to the, using the word recovery, the studies have shown that people who are at work recover faster. There are psychological impacts to being at home, you know, and you're in pain. And if you, I mean, going back to what you talked about with attorney's ads, we talk about this all the time. You know, turn on the TV anytime between, say, you know, eight and four working hours on your local (laughs) channel. Turn it on during working hours. Working hours. You know, uh, several years ago, my mom had had surgery and I went and stayed with her for a couple of days. And I hadn't watched TV during the the guts of a weekday in years and years. Every commercial break, there was an attorney at. They rotated through six of them. Every commercial break. And what are the message? I care about you. The insurance company doesn't care about you. Your employer doesn't care about you. You're not getting what you're owed, but guess what? I can get that for you. And I'm a firm believer that there is a place for attorneys in our system. That place is not in sprained ankles and, you know, strained backs and, you know, minor cuts. I had, you know, a good, the dad of a good friend of my son's. Uh, had a bad shoulder deal several years ago, and he was offered a very large settlement from the insurance company. And I said, dude, you have to go talk to an attorney because if they're offering you this much money, you're signing away something meaningful yeah. and an attorney is going to be able to help you understand that. That's that's where the attorneys belong. But we all know that they make their living getting $20,000 for some that should have been five. Mm-hmm. And then taking a third of that or more than a third of that 20 and the injured worker is never better off, not in the long term. They would have been better off being back at work and and getting better and moving on with their lives rather than spending a year or more um, essentially being able to being play acting that they're disabled. Right. Which in most cases they aren't. Yeah, no, I mean, one of the things that we do when we engage is we identify who the preferred provider is going to be. The carrier will give you a list and, we, you know, obviously we want to find the urgent care center that's in close proximity. If, if it's something that can't be done at urgent care, they probably definitely need to be going to the hospital anyhow in mm-hmm. most cases. Right. Um, but, you know, we, we want our employers to go and introduce themselves, whether it be the business owner or the human resources person or whoever's responsible for workers' comp, and to start to build that relationship and make sure they understand we do have opportunities for people to come back. We do have, you know, jobs that people can perform within the restrictions. You know, for pretty much anything, we can get as creative as we need to be. I've got a big resort that I work with over in Orlando that had a horrible problem with getting people back, you know, and the indemnity claims were not, I mean, they were horrendous on the loss runs, but they weren't things that people should have been out of work for. And part of the problem was they didn't understand the financial impact of the indemnity claims on the mod when they're over the, you know, within and over the split point, but within the split point, um, 
you know, primarily because these were like, you know, five to seven thousand dollar claims that are getting calculated a hundred percent when they're going into the mod mm-hmm. formula as opposed to getting the discount. And, you know, we, I just said, why, how much do these people make a week? You know, I mean, they're out for two weeks. You're paying them indemnity. And as a result of you paying them roughly $800 of indemnity or whatever it is, you now have $7,000 in for the claim as opposed to $2,100. It doesn't make any sense. Here's the difference in mod points that you would have had if we right. had the ability to bring them back. And we basically just said, you know, we created a job of stuffing amenity bags for the guests as they came in that had the soap, the shampoo, and all the other stuff in it. You could do it standing. You could do it sitting. I mean, unless you had been dismembered of both hands, you could actually perform this task, you know, period. And that one little right. tweak, man, that one little tweak dropped in basically nullified all indemnity claims. The other, the other piece that we did is and, and I think it's important that employers understand this and as agents you should be out there talking to your your, your clients about this you know the employee has responsibilities there I mean you need to have a policy on what it means what your expectations are in the event someone gets injured you know we talked about the Monday morning claim well if somebody comes in and says yeah well you know I pulled my back out on Thursday afternoon and I thought I was going to be better but I worked through it Friday and now it's just too bad for me to come to work Monday well what does your company policy say were they required to report that claim to you or something that could give rise to a claim to you on Thursday when it happened or are you just going to let it sit you know until Monday and now it's turned into something bigger. And you need to establish those guidelines as to their role in the claims reporting process so that the right people in your organization are aware. But number two, you need to hold them accountable to that. You know, this same organ this same company, um, the resort over in Orlando, you know, these people were running rampant. You know, they 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 were released for light duty, but they would come in and they would clear the uh, they 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 would bring their clearance letter in on the day they knew the HR person was off, and uh, you yeah. know the HR person would schedule them, and then they wouldn't show up, and they'd say, "Oh, I was waiting for so and so to come back," and um, you know, so I'll just be back Monday. And I mean, it was the 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 fox was ruling the hen house for all practical purposes. And I told him, I said, "Look, you're going to fix this really quickly. Here's the policy. We're going to get it." in place. We're going to train everybody on it. We're going to make sure they understand it. We're going to document that they understand it. And the first time somebody steps left to center, we're going to fire them. Period. End of story. For not mm-hmm. for no call, no show. They they lose they, they miss three days in a row. If they've been cleared to come back, they're on the schedule. You have to make an example out of one person and we'll never have a problem with it again. And that's what we did. But you know, I, I think that a lot of people have a gap. They they missed that part where, you know, they're so worried about walking on on eggshells when somebody's injured or whatever that and, and they're worried that they're gonna get sued that they don't realize the employer does have rights too. I mean, they have the right to have a policy. Well, Right. Well, and I, and I don't, I don't think it's, I, yes, I agree with everything that you said. There's, there's several things in there that I want to, want to go back to. The first thing I want to go back to is what you said about the mod. And I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts. We've talked about mod analysis software. We're huge fans of mod analysis software. We've, we've been, you know, teaching about how to use mod analysis software to explain to a business owner how their workers' comp costs are built for for 20 years. But there is an epidemic in our industry of people who believe that giving a software company money makes them good insurance agents. I agree. Right? That putting information or now scanning a mod worksheet in and being able to print out a 30-page report somehow creates something of value. 
And, and by the way, by and scanning it, it in, you just took the lazy way out. You didn't really validate any information or data whatsoever. You're just basically saying, right. I'm taking the I'm taking the payroll information and the, the loss information yeah. on the worksheet, and I'm just going to assume all of that's 100% correct, and I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a fluffy report with bright colors and big pictures, and you're going to think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And all you've done is take and break down data that may or may not even be accurate and present it to somebody. In my opinion, that's what happens. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Now, now that being said, if I had access to scan it, I'd verify all of it and then, you know, save, save my data entry fingers. Um, but, you know, regardless of how you input the information, it's what you can do with the information. Like I have the check engine light come on in my car. Can I buy a little thing for a hundred bucks at Walmart that'll tell me what that code means and then Google it. Hundred percent, I can do that. Can I fix it? Absolutely not, because I don't know squat about how cars work. <laughs> and it's the same thing with mod software. It's it's an amazing tool, but the tool by itself doesn't do the job. If right. you can't, you can show someone that Jill Smith's claim cost them $12,000 over three years. But if you can't break down what you just talked about, which is that, you know, why was Jill out long enough to collect $800 of indemnity for a sprained ankle? And did you know that if you hadn't paid that $800 of indemnity, that that injury would have actually only cost you $4,500 over three years? And here's the, the strategies and the tactics that we have to make that happen, all of those other things that you talked about. And, you know, I think there's a really easy way to, to sell this to employees in a very positive way. You know, employers sometimes get, get agitated, right? They're mad that these things are happening. But, you know, going back to what I was talking about with onboarding, it's not hard to explain that you're doing this to help take care of them. Right. You're our employee and it's our responsibility that if you suffer an injury, that we take care of it. We don't want you to think, well, I'm just going to see if I can tough this out or man, if I if I tell my boss that I hurt my back, I might get fired or or whatever else. You know, it's our responsibility to take care of that. And so if you if you hurt, it's your responsibility to tell us before the sun sets that day so that we can make sure that you're taken care of. If it winds up not not being a deal, then it's not a deal and we'll all be, you know, we'll all be happy about that, but you have to to tell us. And that's where you get into, you know, what you guys know and what we teach, you know, this idea of, you know, how can you help your clients create tangible results in their workers comp program instead of just showing them that their actual losses exceeded their expected, and that's why their mod is a dumpster yeah. fire. And I mean, listen, you don't even need to do the mod analysis. I can look at loss runs, and that's one of the things I, I ingrain into producers' heads is you need to be able to read loss runs on the fly. Like, if you just happen to be in that meeting and somebody says, well, here, take a look at my losses. What? Tell me what you could do with this. You don't have, I mean, you're not going to pull out your computer and do a full-blown mod analysis right there. I'm going to look at a few things. I'm going to look at the indemnity column because I want to see how much indemnity is mm -hmm. in the claims and I want to see how much of that indemnity is low dollar. Um, I'm obviously going to look at the expense column to see how, how much of the claims are being litigated. But I'm also, you know, going to be looking at the, uh, the lag time. 
you know, and Lagtime's a 100% direct predictor of all of the other issues. And it's amazing to me that agents don't realize that you can just look at like those three things and probably walk out of the door with an account if you can speak to them on the fly. And, you know, to me, Lagtime is, is, is a chronic problem that reeks of lack of discipline in organizations, but more importantly, lack of education from the agency side. Because I, I've been on this hot button now for going on two months, but I'm a firm believer that the way the reason people buy insurance, the the way that they buy insurance is because that's what our industry has taught them. That you know, they don't go to college and learn how to buy insurance. Oh, they yeah. learn because this is what the insurance industry has conditioned them. They know to expect the call 60 to 90 days before renewal. They understand that, you know, people are gonna um, try and slide agent of record letters. And they I mean, I can go on with the laundry list of things that the insurance industry has conditioned people to do. But if we just stepped back and became educators, and, and Kyle will validate this, I, I don't sell when I go in to close deals. I teach. And that, that's all you have to do. Yeah. You know, you educate these people. Yeah, you're right. You had some bad indemnity claims or some low dollar indemnity claims and they affected your mod. Here's where you're at. Here's where you could have been. You know, here's what your minimum mod or your low mod or whatever you want to call it could be. And then you start to connect those dots for them and paint the financial picture and then not just do that, but then offer the solutions that go with it. Oh, so you have a problem with back injuries. It appears that you maybe need to visit your manual material handling. Well, we happen to have a learning management system that we can enroll all of your employees in and run them through a series of training videos on manual material handling. And we're going to test them and make sure that they understand. And if we have issues with this again, we're going to have to go back and revisit what portion of the training was not effective you know, and go that route. Another thing that I think that a lot of companies are missing on with regard to comp is, you know, we're not doing really good accident investigations, okay? Not really good, thorough accident investigations with documentation, witnesses, and and then taking that and rolling it into a teachable moment where we can bring that to the table, whether it be in the safety committee meeting and then rolled out to employees or otherwise, but I'm going to carry it a step further. We're also not doing anything for incident reports, you know, we're not looking at near misses. We're not we're not looking at those those kinds of things. And, you know, when I talk about doing mod analysis, that's another one, you know, in, incident or near miss or even like med only claims. You know, if I'm looking at loss runs and there's seven lots get skipped yeah, over seven a lot. lacerations to people's ring finger on their left hand. A, I'm going to be really impressed that the carrier <laughs> got that much detail on the loss runs. Right. But <laughs> maybe throw maybe throw a guard on the machine yeah, or something. Like, I don't what's, know what's going on. What what can we do? I mean, is the is the employee trained properly on this equipment? Is the workstation set up correctly? Mm -hmm. Are you not using lockout tagout when you're trying to change something? Or uh, you know, is there a guard that's being bypassed intentionally or has been completely removed? Our goal is to notice that seven lacerations to the left ring finger is a trend, and we need to stop it before somebody loses their hand. You know, that's the kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require a college degree in workers' comp. It's simply looking at loss runs and paying attention to them and realizing that there is much a tool. In the sales process is they are in the submission process. And, and, and people don't think that way. Oh, yeah. You know, they're so worried about getting them because the underwriters require them that they don't stop and read, but they tell you a story. And if you can comprehend that story, you're going to write more business than you ever, ever thought you would. Oh, there's, there's a huge amount of information in loss runs. And, you know, it's, you know, I, most of the time when, when an agent you know, is working on an account, they send us information 
you know, it's, it's send me the mod worksheet and send me the loss runs. And if I have the mod worksheet, I know how the business is classified. So you can have, you know, a discussion on that. We haven't even talked at all about classifications. Or the oh, I'm already audit, ready to book is, you for the second a appointment. Huge nightmare. Yeah, we're going to yeah, have to do another podcast. So, right so much more. To, <laughs> right. Um, you've got, um, you've got on the mod worksheet, a really quick rundown what are the injury codes? Is it med only? Is it indemnity? Are there any big headline things like a, a death claim or a permanent total disability that you're really going to need to know about if you're going to try and market this account? Which, by the way, the a side benefit of accident investigation is, of course, at the end of an accident investigation should be some degree of process improvement, right? And we've seen accounts be saved like saved from from being canceled because you were able you as the agent were able to go back and say okay well yeah we had this thing and it was it was bad but we figured out that you know it was this that happened and we've done a b and c to make sure that never happens again and if you have credibility with the insurance company that can not will but can you know maybe mm-hmm. tip things towards you not winding up getting Hey, it saved canceled. my bacon more times and, than I can even count. I mean, that, that, and that, I think it's important for people to understand yeah. sometimes when, when we talk about this stuff, it is a matter of posturing and positioning at the point of sale. But at the end of the day, you know, we've gotten to a point in our industry where quoting is so easily done online that people just go in, they throw the numbers in there. If it's approved, great. If it's referred, they probably think it's going to get shot down, you know. In, in or it's just immediately declined, the art of putting together a good submission and telling the story is quickly getting lost. Oh, and and I'm I'm a firm believer, and I and I suspect that, that you guys are gonna agree with me when I say this, that if we as a as an a, as a group, uh, which is you know commercial insurance agents, if we don't want to be replaced by machines, we are going to have to continually create ways that we are doing things the machines cannot do, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, when you start to talk about middle market workers' compensation, you know, what are the things? And, it, and it's, you know, building a recovery at work program, finding the right physicians for them, you know, to go to, helping them build a hiring process so that when they when they bring people on, that it, um, you know, that they hire people who are, capable of, of doing the work, being able to diagnose, you know, tangible things. Now, I mean, I think I could probably program an AI to say, you know, hey, is the indemnity greater than the medical? It's one of my favorite red flags. <laughs> if the indemnity is greater than the medical, that means that we paid an injured worker more to not work mm-hmm. than we paid the doctors to fix that person. And there's there's no one that gets paid enough that they should be making more than the doctors fixing that person. And that indicates a a lack of, of process. And I, we probably use that word more than any other individual word. in what we talk about is, is process. This idea that when you have a process, it doesn't mean everything's always going to go exactly the way you want. But what it does mean is that when something doesn't go the way you expect, that you can identify why, right? Because you can find, if you look, where where the process broke down, where someone didn't, you know, this didn't go the way that we had, had hoped or that we skipped this step in the process. And all of that leads to helping put business owners in control of their workers' compensation. And if you ask 
almost any business owner, they're going to tell you they feel out of control of their entire insurance program. And and you guys and, and your listeners, you work largely with entrepreneurs, people who have decided to start their own business at some point in the past because they were sick of working for the man. Mm-hmm. And because they wanted to have more control over how they did things and how their business worked. And then they're told repeatedly, you know, here it is, you know, here's the best price I can get you. You know, I guess this is just going to be the way it is. And and you can help put those people in control. And I know y'all see this in, in what you do is that, you know, they understand how they can impact this rather than just, you know, kicking the desk and writing the check every year. Yeah, I think the other thing that has to happen too is there has to be accountability for the leadership of the organization, whether that be the individual department heads, supervisors, whatever. And, you know, one of the things I'm a big proponent of is taking the loss runs um, or, or actually just as you onboard a client with a carrier, making sure that the way that the claims information is taken in is by location, by department. If you have the ability to code those things so that you can then triangulate where your problem performers are. I mean, there's too many times that you see loss runs for, you know, manufacturing concerns that might have five or six sub departments in them, but they're all aggregated into one giant lump together lump in yeah. loss runs. And you might have four out of five of those departments performing really, really well, but there's no way to tell. And that's the agent's job. You know, you've got to set the the policy up the correct way and communicate with the carrier to make sure that the information will be received in the way that you want it to be reported. Um, and number one, number two, you got to go back and follow up on that. You can't just ask for it. You need to be monitoring loss runs in real time over the course of the year on a monthly basis and and see as claims are being reported, is the information being handled the way that I ask it to be handled? Because the last thing you want to do is be one of these people that writes an account, shows up six months later, and none of the stuff you ask for has been done, which unfortunately is the MO for a good bit of our industry. But I want to be able to hold those people accountable. Yeah, six months. I, is I want to be able to hold those people accountable because not only then are you doing it in real time with the claims dollars, but then if you're going back and, and doing the mod analysis the right way, you can tie individual mod points and subsequent increases in premium to each one of those departments. And if you don't have the account, I, I'm a big believer in what what gets measured gets done. And if you don't have people accountable for their numbers. You know, then what are you really accomplishing? Even if you've got the greatest processes in the world, you have to have the accountability piece too. Well, uh, totally, and it's it's something that we talk about is involving the supervisors, and I think I think in a global concept, that's kind of what you're talking about here. If you think about you know a manufacturing company, I mean, we we saw this has been years ago, but there was a, a guy suffered a hernia and. He was out of work for some period of time. He had surgery, but he comes back. His his employer brings him back as soon as the doctor clears him. And of course, he has a lifting restriction, as you would expect with with a hernia. And he's back for a few days. And his supervisor says, I need you to help me move this table. So it's a big metal heavy shop table. (laughs) And the guy's like, you know, hey, you know, I they told me I can't lift more than 10 pounds or whatever. He's like, well, you better you better do it or just go home because you're useless. So what does the guy do? He doesn't want to get fired. He helps move the table. And he says, yeah, that didn't didn't really feel right. And the, the supervisor says, well, it's probably just because you hadn't been doing any real work. Well, it turns out he'd actually re-injured the hernia, quadrupled the cost of the claim, got an attorney, 
all because this supervisor was a jerk. Now, I'd like to say that we can magically make people who are jerks not jerks, but what we can do is what you're talking about, which is, you know, agents work so hard to get to the top of the organization, right? You need to get to the person who can say yes and who can write the check. And that's 100% true. But in order for a business of any complexity to see the results that we know you can create, you've got to drive that message down through the supervisors because the supervisors are the people that are going to make this stuff happen. Look, man, you, you can learn basis. more by smoking mean... a cigarette on a loading dock, talking to a ship shift supervisor than you can talking to a CEO any day of the week. And I, I don't smoke that. cigarettes, but I would if I if it meant getting the deal yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so so you get to that supervisor and you explain to them, you know, when you see someone get get hurt, this is what you're responsible for doing. You know, it's not about making a supervisor understand how the experience mod works, but it's about explaining to them what their responsibility is. You know, if you see someone get hurt, you need to push them to do what we've told them they're supposed to do. And when we send someone back and we put them you know, in your department, you know, space, whatever you're supervising, and we tell you this person can only do A, B, and C, you're responsible for making sure that only A, B, and C are happening. That you're not, you're not a coach, right? A long time ago, I heard a, a fantastic occupational medicine doctor speak who also happened to be the team physician at the time for an NFL team. And he compared, uh, he compared, uh, sports medicine with with occupational medicine. And there are a lot of parallels in that, you know, the doctor's job is to get them back on the job as quickly as possible. Now, in the NFL, you're maybe, you know, giving them some meds and putting them in positions where they're going to further compromise their bodies. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. But we do want to have that mindset that the only acceptable outcome is them for them to be back out on the field, which means doing something productive for the employer rather than sitting at home watching TV and taking in those attorney's ads, you know, because there's really only three reasons someone cannot be at work doing something, right? If they're hospitalized and we've seen employers do recovery at work in the hospital, I don't necessarily recommend that, but we had some people like, you know, pay this guy to watch safety videos when he was in the hospital. Um, if you're contagious, and I, I liked to tell people that there really wasn't anything contagious occupational disease that we really need to be concerned about. Maybe that's a little different today. Um, or if they're medicated in a way that makes it unsafe for them to get to or be at work. If none of those three things are true, hospitalized, contagious, or medicated, they can be doing something. It's up to the employer to find that something and to believe that that finding that is important to both the employee and to the business. And then yeah, you can and I mean, have the time to success. find what you want that person to do is not after they've been injured. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to define here's no. what the, re the recover at work jobs look like that we have available, um, you know, and, and then roll with it. You know, my famous story is I have a, a client that was a, pl a plumbing contractor that's mod was a one point. Seven three when I engaged with them and I did my research before I went in to talk to them, 
And I talked to the guy. I'm like, you know, you really need to look at having return to work. And he said, well, you know, I'm old school. I don't have a job counting paper clips or, you know, filing papers or whatever else. And I said, no, I understand that. I said, but I did go to your website before I came into the meeting today. And I realized that you have a job that has been posted for the last three years perpetually for your call center. It seems like you have a hard time filling a job of people answering the phones. And I said, why can't you take an injured plumber and put him in the call center? Uh, and have them answer phones, troubleshoot, help the less experienced techs that are out in the field, whatever they can possibly do. I mean, these people are the face of your company every other day of the week. So let them let them get in and get on the phones and do that. And I said, a couple things are going to happen. Number one, they may teach your call center people some things. Number two, You've never seen an injured plumber recover so fast as to put him in a call center. I mean, if this guy's even remotely left to center in terms of his representation of his injury, I can assure you he'll want to be back on his truck as opposed to talking on the phones mm -hmm. all day. And I mean, some of that's tongue in cheek, but at the end of the day, I think that that is a big place where employers mess up is they don't predefine what their their opportunities are to bring people back. And you're right. Every single business out there has something that somebody can do that's of value. It's just the stigma that's been created that return to work or light duty is filing papers or counting paper clips because the mentality is one of being punitive as opposed to being passionate. Oh, totally. And I mean, it's it's easy to understand that if you have a script, it's a whole lot easier to know what to say than if you're talking off the top of mm. your head. And it's the same thing with recovery at work. If every time someone gets hurt and when you're dealing with a, a company with 20, 30, 40 employees, they might have one or two employee injuries a year, right? This isn't, this isn't a company that, that most, most clients that, that commercial agents work with don't have hundreds of employees where they're dealing with dozens of injuries a year. So if someone walks into your office in a, in a sling and the doctor and he says, the doctor said, I can't use my dominant arm for the next two weeks. If you're trying to brainstorm something, you being the, you know, probably the HR manager, you know, and they're sitting there going, uh, well, I guess, I guess <laughs> just go home because I, I don't have anything, you know, then, you know, that's, but that's what happens. I mean, well, right. too often they never even come back, right? The doctor says you can't work. Um, uh, because you can't use your dominant arm. And so they, they go home and, and it's over. But if you're trying to come up with that off the top of your head, you know, you're going to fail too often. Mm. Now, there certainly could be circumstances where your job bank doesn't have something that exactly fits. But if all you need to do is kind of fine tune one or more of those positions, then it's a lot easier to kind of strip some physical demands out of something you've already come up with. The other place where we see agents get pushback is, well, I, you know, I don't have anything for someone to do for two weeks. Well, you know, recovery at work doesn't have to be the same job eight hours a day until they're ready to come back. First of all, if they if they're progressing in their injury, then hopefully you can progress their job tasks. Mm -hmm. Like maybe today you have to be totally sedentary, but next week. They're back to where they can lift 20 pounds. Well, don't leave them in that sedentary position just because you haven't thought about it. Like find them something that's maybe closer to what they were doing before. I liked what you said, and we've seen people do this. You mentioned with the plumber, 
Uh, you know, if, if it's a good plumber, you know, maybe they can't climb under a kitchen sink, but could they go coach one of the younger plumbers? Right. You know, could they say, oh, don't use that material, use this material or, you know, and we've, I mean, I remember a story with a, a company that did cable installs for a big, you know, cable company, but they were a contractor and that's what they did. Their best installer got hurt. And every day he went out with a different installer, you know, coaching them, you know, and the, once you understand and, and to circle back to the sales process, right? Sales 101 is what's in it for me, right? And that's where if you, if you aren't explaining to a business owner, uh, particularly ones who maybe you're a little bit less compassionate by nature, a little more gruff, like maybe your, your contractor that you were talking about, you know, they might not uh, get so jazzed up about the idea of this being better for their employees or <laughs> don't care about but their bottom show line them though. that not only is it better for their employees, but if you had done this, your workers comp premium would be, you know, $40,000 less and your 173 mod, which is, is a hundred percent a competitive disadvantage. And potentially when you're dealing with contractors is something that may actually put you out of business because you can't bid on jobs, right? I mean, the, the mod, I, and I hate that, and we could do a whole other hour about why the experience mod is not a proxy for safety performance, but we know that contractors use it as a proxy. And by the day. way, it clearly says, says it. at the bottom of the mod <laughs> worksheet that it should not be used for job awards or whatever the exact language is. Right. And yet mm -hmm. it is used to qualify. Yeah. NCCI added that in 2018. Um, and it's had absolutely no. no effect. I mean, the only the only thing that's happened, and I think this may have even happened before 2018, uh, the state of Virginia has a law that says the experience mod cannot be used as a qualifier for state construction contracts. So they, they obviously they can't regulate what private businesses do, but but for state funded business, you can't you can't use it. And but as much as I know that it's a, a bad deal and that shouldn't happen, there's no reason not to take advantage of it is if it is happening. And then you have an opportunity as an insurance agent to turn away from the insurance conversation into a business yep. conversation, mm -hmm. right? This experience mod is a problem for your business and we can help you fix it through this set of strategies. And Absolutely. Well, listen, yep. man, we are, we are actually over an hour. You're right. We could go for another hour. So you're definitely going to need to come back. We would love to have you back. But before yep. I let you go, I want you to tell everybody how to get a hold of you, how they can learn more about the WorkComp Institute and what you guys are doing and ultimately get involved and uh, learn more about this stuff. Because if they're not compelled to do so after this, I don't know what else we could do for them. I mean, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I appreciate it. The easiest way to find us is to go to workcompprofessionals.com, workcompprofessionals.com. Uh, my phone number is 828-274-0959. Uh, 828-274-0959. Uh, if you want to send me an email, it's kevin at workcompprofessionals.com. Uh, I'm happy to send you the, the onboarding process that I talked about. Uh, I wrote an article that was in the insurance journal a few years ago that uh, I'm happy to send you a copy of if you don't want to track it down on their website that goes through that whole 
process. Um, and I've got an article in the June 21 edition of Rough Notes about the premium audit and COVID specifically, how those two things are working together or maybe not, that might be something that's, uh, that's useful to your listeners nice. as well. But yeah, drop us, drop us a line and we'll talk about how uh, membership in the Institute works. And you know, we'd love to talk to any of your listeners. And we'll make sure all of that contact information is put in the show notes as well. So, Kevin, I know I'll speak for Kyle. We both appreciate you being on, man. This is a great session, certainly something we talk about a lot, but it's always good to get other perspective mm -hmm. and people framing things in the other way. I mean, I don't know. The only other thing I can say is you guys might want to consider like having some sort of affiliate revenue or commission paid to Mr. Gurley for as much as he's out there beating his chest about the Institute. <laughs> so that being said, we're going to wrap up. I really appreciate you coming on today, man. And we'll, we'll talk again soon for sure. It's a pleasure. It's been fun. I look forward to, uh, to talking to you again. Thanks a lot. Right. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the power producers podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>